Matthew 28, 19, and 20. <clears throat> all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So these words aren't new to most of us. We've heard them before. And it's, it's Jesus' command to us. Jesus' command to the church. Go Make disciples of all nations. And it's a really, really big task. Um, it's one that seems daunting. Now, you know, I, when I think about the first people to hear this, Jesus' disciples, it probably, se- probably the thing that seemed most daunting to them is this idea of going to all nations. Um, it, it would have been a very different world back then. It, to, to go to all nations, there were, you would maybe ride a, an animal or walk maybe take a boat, and you probably wouldn't come back. It was a very, very dangerous and different world. Now, things have changed. You can get to just about any point on the globe within 48 hours if you leave right now. You could drive up to Winnipeg, you could get on an airplane, and you could be sitting in our living room in Bulgaria in less than two days. It's, the world is very, very different than it used to be. So the all-nations part... It's, it might not seem as, as daunting as it used to be. Plus, there's great communication. Uh, I can not only make a phone call from Europe to my brother back in, here in Minnesota, I can actually see his face. There's actual videos. When I was a kid, that, that was something that was reserved for the likes of shows like Star Trek, you know, where you have these video conversations over great distances. Now it actually happens. But this, this Great Commission is still daunting. Maybe not for the all-nations part, but I think the part that kind of makes us nervous is the go and make disciples part. You know, the all-nations part, it still has a lot of work. To go to another culture, to learn another language, uh, live in a different country, learn a different system, it's, it's, uh, it takes a lot of work. It's, and it can, be, it can be quite intimidating. Last night at the dinner, someone asked Sophie, what, my oldest daughter, what it's like coming back to America, and she said, everything is just slightly different. It, and she's described it as a parallel universe. And it is. Going to a different country is like that. But the disciple-making part, that seems to be a big challenge that remains today. today. Now, the church over the centuries, it's done a really, really good job of rising to meet this challenge. Um, we've developed programs to reach the lost and teach the Bible. We have written tracts that teach basic theology. We've written commentaries that teach deeper theology. We've had meetings and had strategic plans on how to reach the lost. Uh, we've gone out as missionaries, we've studied cultures, and we've learned languages. In early 2018, I met with a fellow missionary in the Bulgarian city of Turnovo. Uh, Turnovo used to be the capital, now it's a smaller city. Um, and I met there because it was the halfway point for us. He lives in Bucharest, Romania, just across the border to our north, and I lived in, in, Bulgaria, in Sofia, and so we met in the middle, and the reason we met is because we had been invited to teach a course to young men and women on how to make disciples, and so we met there for, in Turnovo for a couple days because we had to plan out what are we going to teach. You can't just show up for a three-day seminar and not be prepared. So over the course of our two days together, planning it out, we, we contemplated all the things we'd done over the years. Between the two of us, we have combined over 40 years of ministry experiences. So as a result, we've sat in on countless strategy and planning sessions. Uh, we've both participated in, in unnumbered projects. We've both lived in multiple countries, and we've both learned multiple languages. 
And we both came to the same conclusion that the key to success in making disciples is really not that complicated. So we as Christians have been given a daunting task, but it's not a complicated one. Jesus gave us key principles in his teachings on how to make disciples. So I'm going to share with you what, what we came up to with is probably one of the most important principles of disciple-making. And so as with all good lessons on disciple-making, we look to Scripture. So if you want to open with me, if you have your Bibles or devices that have your Bibles on them, open with me to John 15. Some of us still carry paper Bibles, and those are great. I mean, it's nice to have, you know, I got my Bible here on my phone, and that, that is nice. But the one great thing about a paper Bible is I have never seen a paper Bible run out of batteries. So John 15, verses 1 through 17. Jesus is speaking. He said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean, Because of the word I've spoken to you, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that, my, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Yesterday at, at, the, um, at the dinner, Dave Stanell mentioned that um, our, our house back in Bulgaria and if you ever visit our house, those of you who have, you know that it's covered in vines. And these vines wrap all the way around the building. But they all come back all to one corner of the building where there is one big master vine. All these branches connect to the one vine, and that vine is big and it's thick. And all of those, all of those vines will produce fruit, little tiny berries. You can't eat those berries, unfortunately. But uh, little tiny berries that the wasps really love, and they're all connected to the one vine, and it makes the whole house look gorgeous and covered in leaves. 
This is actually pretty, pretty common. You see a lot of things like this around Bulgaria. In my wife's hometown, in the city of Kostinets, on her family property, if you walk in, the first thing a lot of people notice is there's a canopy of leaves covering the entire backyard. And these, these leaves stretch out for 30 feet in any direction. They provide shade throughout the day, or on the hot summer days. And then in the fall, if you're lucky enough to visit there, you can just go pick fresh grapes right off the vine and just pop them in your mouth and eat them, and they're delicious. As long as the branches are attached to this one vine, they're going to produce leaves and fruit. And that one vine, it comes right down in the middle of the yard, and it's big. It's about this tall. It's thick like a tree trunk. We've hung, we, we can hang stuff off of it. Um, it can support the weight of a smaller person. And it is the life source for every single one of those branches, no matter how far away they are. If you cut down that one vine, all of the branches would die. So in our passage today, Jesus uses the vine and the branches as a metaphor for our lives. Now this passage has been used for countless sermons and incalculable numbers of or amounts of ink have been spilled, writing commentaries on it. Uh, but one thing is clear. Whatever you think of this passage, one thing is undeniable. If we do not remain in Jesus, we will not bear fruit. So it's a very simple thing. If we do not remain in Jesus, we will not bear fruit. If you look at me with verses 4 and 5, Jesus says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the, in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, it's interesting to me that Jesus says, remain in me, as I also remain in you. We don't think too much about Jesus remaining in us. After all, if the vine and the branches are cut off, the branch dies, the vine is going to produce more branches and make, continue to make fruit. The vine doesn't need the branches. Every year, um, these, these grapevines that I mentioned at Sasha's hometown, those are common. You see them all over Bulgaria. Every year, it's the responsibility of someone in the house to go out and cut off the branches and prune it. You cut back almost all of the branches. You cut them off, and you clear them out so that you have just a few coming so that the fruit that comes out is going to be big and lush and beautiful. All of those branches die, but the vine remains, and it continues to grow. The vine doesn't need the branches. And in the same way, Jesus doesn't need to remain in us. He will continue to be the vine, whether or not we remain in him or not. But he does want us. And so he remains in us, and he tells us that we should remain in him. Why? Why does he do this? Well, some might look at this passage and think that Jesus is talking about losing our salvation. After all, we see later in the passage that he's talking about that branches that do not remain in the vine... As he talks about them being thrown in the fire and burned. And this makes us think of the fires of hell. But I don't think that Jesus is talking about losing his salvation here. <clears throat> Remember, who is he talking to? He's talking to his disciples. He's already declared them to be cleaned and pruned, and they're clearly remaining in him, and they're clearly saved. Furthermore, Jesus tells us that he remains in us, even if we don't remain in him. He's not going to let us go. The overall message of this book of the Bible, the Gospel of John, John's Gospel message, um, or the Gospel according to John, is that those who believe are saved and that belief alone is enough for eternal life. So, to, <clears throat> in fact, toward, toward the end of the book, in chapters, 
chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, John actually tells us why he wrote this book. There aren't a lot of books of the Bible that give a reason why they were written, but John does give that to us. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you may believe and have life in his name. John's gospel account here is the only book of the Bible that I'm aware of that has as the stated purpose of the book to lead people to believe. Or to, to use modern terminology, church terminology, it's the only book with a stated evangelistic purpose. Now, and, and it's written so that people will have eternal life in Jesus, and it clearly states throughout the book, including in this passage I just read, that life, that life comes from belief. It's a recurring theme that John goes back to over and over again. And the most quoted book of the Bible is right, found right in this book, John 3.16, which I imagine that a lot of you guys know by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now the interesting thing about eternal life is that it's eternal. It never ends. If it comes, and it comes to whoever believes. If it ends, it's not eternal. Salvation comes by belief in the Son of God, and if it's truly eternal life, it can't be lost, because then it's not eternal life. If it can be lost, it's conditional life, just like our life here on earth. Now, my life on earth is conditioned on a number of things, but essentially it all boils down to my body has to be, keep going. It has to be in good working order. If enough damage is done to my body, I'm going to die. And at some point, that's going to happen. It could be today through some traumatic injury. It could be... Years from now, I hope it's years from now, uh, but eventually the inevitable ravages of time and entropy of decay will come and my body will stop working. It's, it's, ine it's inevitable. That's because life on this earth is temporary. It comes to an end. It's not eternal life. Eternal life has no conditions because if it did, it wouldn't be eternal. And whoever believes has eternal life. Not, it's not... John 3.16 doesn't say whoever believes and does good works will have eternal life. It doesn't say whoever believes and bears much fruit will have eternal life. It's simply whoever believes. So I don't think Jesus is talking about salvation in John chapter 15. So then what is he talking about then? What is this about branches being cut off, withered, thrown in the fire, and burned? What is he talking He's obviously talking about something. Well, I think he's talking about how to bear fruit. He's talking about how to have a productive life in him. Or to make, play it, make it simple, he's talking about how to have, bear, make disciples. We can only bear fruit by remaining in Jesus. And if we do not remain in Jesus, then we will be like a branch that is cut off. We'll be like a branch that is withered and useless. We'll be like a branch that is thrown into the fire and burned. It's not that we're going to be burned ourselves, but it's still going to be a great tragedy. Imagine living your whole life believing in Jesus and wasting it because you didn't, you didn't remain in him. You'll go to heaven, you're saved, but you've wasted your entire life. To me, that's, that's terrible. That's, that's a great tragedy. If we don't remain in Jesus, we will not bear fruit. However, if we remain in Jesus, we will bear much fruit. You see, the reverse is also true. If we remain in Jesus, 
we will bear much fruit. So read with me John 15, verses 7 through 8. Jesus said, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now think about what that means. If we remain in Jesus, and his words remain in us, then we can ask whatever we wish and it'll be done for us. Why would Jesus give us something so amazing? Why would he grant us something so amazing as that? Well, first of all, going back to his illustration, the branches do whatever the vine does. It's natural. The vine makes grapes. The branches make grapes. You will not find a grapevine out there that is producing olives. It's, that's just not how things work. Grapevines make grapes. It's natural. The, if the, vine, the, vine and the, or the branches do what the vine does. So if we remain in Jesus, his will will be so aligned, or our will be, will be so aligned with his will that whatever we do or whatever we ask will be exactly what he wants to give us, and so it'll be given. But additionally, this is what Jesus wants us to be. By remaining in him and doing his will, we give glory to the Father. And we'll, we will bear much fruit. And we'll show ourselves to be his disciples. This is what he wants for us in, in our lives. Bearing much fruit and showing ourselves to be his disciples brings glory to God. Now how great is that? Clearly, this whole idea of remaining in Jesus is important. If we don't remain in Jesus, we will not bear fruit. If we remain in Jesus, we will bear much fruit. But how do we remain in the vine? How do we re remain in Jesus? What does that look like? Well, to remain in Jesus is to remain in his love. See, Jesus is closing out the metaphor at this point, And he's getting to the main point he's trying to reach. To remain in Jesus is to remain in his love. Look at verse 9 with me. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. So D Jesus doesn't leave us hanging. He, he, he uh, tells us what it means to remain in him. He's not just giving us some metaphor, some parable, and saying, go figure it out on your own. He's giving us clear instructions here. The answer is love. Remain in Jesus' love. Okay, but how do we do this? Well, the next verse, it gives us our answer. Verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So if we don't remain in Jesus, we will not bear much fruit. We will not bear fruit. If we do remain in Jesus, we will bear much fruit. And to remain in Jesus is to remain in his love, and we will remain in Jesus' love by obeying his commands. So that's the application. Here, we remain in Jesus' love by obeying his commands. So the greatest commandment, Jesus said, is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now I think that's an important one. There are a lot of different commands in the Bible, and we remain in Jesus' love by obeying his commands. Uh, the first commandment given in the Bible is be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Is that the, the key command? Well, it's, it's a command he gave. It's, we should not ignore it. It's important. Uh, the most common command given to the, in the Bible is stop being afraid or fear not. That's an important command. 
But those are uh, the first command in the Ten Commandments. Um, you shall have no other gods before me. That's an important command. But the most important command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. So how do we do this? How do we show Jesus, how do we show God that we love him? Well, we obey his commandments. Okay, that's good. And why? Well, this is for, it's for our own good. It's for our own good. Remember, the vine doesn't re- require the branches. It's, God does not require our obedience. But in obeying him, in obeying Jesus, Jesus' joy is in us, and our joy is made complete, just like it says in verse 11. So you, do you see what Jesus is doing in this discourse? Throughout the passage, Jesus is moving from this metaphor down to something concrete. Um, he's moving from abstract to application. So he starts out by talking about the vine and the branches. If we do not remain in Jesus, we will not bear fruit. If we remain in Jesus, we will bear much fruit. Then he tells us what it, what it means to remain in him. To remain in Jesus is to remain in his love. And then he tells us how to remain in his love. We remain in Jesus' love by obeying his commands. And next he will get very, very specific. He will tell us how to obey his commands. And he does this by giving us a command. And it's right there in verse 12. Jesus' command is that we love each other as he has loved us. It's a pretty simple command. Love each other as he's loved us. Years ago, I had the pleasure of leading a teammate in Bulgaria. And this teammate, was, he was only in Bulgaria for a short time. He, his plan was to stay for longer, but um, God had other plans for him. So he was only there for a year and a half. And yet, during that year and a half, he was so effective in ministry that even now, years later, people still talk about him. Why? What did he do that made, peop- made people talk about him? Well, he loved everybody around him. And by loving others, he remained in Jesus' love, and he obeyed the two mo- those two most important commandments. And he bore much fruit, and that fruit has lasted. Loving is the most important thing to do if you want to have a fruitful life and if you want to reach the world for Jesus. Plans don't matter. Programs don't matter. Projects don't matter. Love matters. Plans are strategies. They're good. There's nothing wrong with them. It's good to have them. Programs are tactics. It's a good way to think about how we're going to reach the lost. Projects are activities. But without the reality of love, they don't matter. Love is the reality. Love as Jesus loves us. But how does he love us? He gave his life for us. Jesus said that there is no greater love than to give your life for a friend. And he did this for us. And he wants us to do this for him and for each other. So love others and love God to the point of death. That's the point of this passage. Jesus' command is that we love each other as he's loved us. And we remain in Jesus' love by obeying his commands. To remain in Jesus is to remain in his love. And if we remain in Jesus, we will bear much fruit. If we do not remain in Jesus, we'll not bear fruit. So it all comes back to loving each other as he has loved us. You see, fulfilling the Great Commission, making disciples, uh, making disciples of all nations, it's not difficult. Love is our application. 
Love is what we're supposed to do. Now, if we're great public speakers, but we don't love, we might sound nice, but we gain nothing. If we're great planners who come up with amazing strategies to reach our, our cities or our states or our nations or the whole world with the gospel, but we don't love, we accomplish nothing. If we establish an amazing charity organization that gives tens of millions of dollars to the poor, but we don't love, we gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It isn't proud. It isn't rude. It's not selfish. It's not harsh. It's forgiving. It does not like evil. It rejoices in truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. And it never stops. Love stays up late. And love gets up early. Love gives until it can give no more. And love requires no special training or education. All of us can do it. I went to, Sasha and I went to a school called Moody Bible Institute. It was founded by a guy named D.L. Moody who had an elementary school education. And yet he changed the world in the 19th century. D.L. Moody was one of the greatest evangelists of that century. Um, he preached the gospel around the United States. He preached the gospel during the Civil War. He preached the gospel in, in Great Britain. And people knew who he was. And then he founded four schools. And those four schools of trained people who have gone out and done ministry. One of, those, one of those schools is still, Moody Bible Institute, is still teaching the Bible and training ministry today. Um, there is a long extension that has come from his ministry. And he didn't have a great, a great education to do it. Education isn't what matters. Now, you might say that's great. D.L. Moody was great, but we're not going to be D.L. Moody. So let me tell you of another story, another guy who obeyed God and bore fruit. This guy, he, um, th this guy, not a lot of people know about him. Uh, he was a, first, or a 19th century Sunday school teacher. In, I believe it was in Boston. And God told him one day, I want you to go to this shoe store and go into the back and talk to a clerk in the back of that shoe store. And I want you to share the gospel with him. And he obeyed. He went to the back of that shoe store and he shared the gospel with a young clerk. And that clerk accepted Jesus that day and gave his life to Christ. Now, who did more? Moody, who reached millions? Or this one Sunday school teacher who went into the back of the shoe store and reached Moody? We might not be deal Moody's, but God can use us to make the next deal Moody. Or you think of Paul. In the, in the Old Testament, in the, sorry, in the New Testament, I know the Bible. Um, Paul in the New Testament, he brought the gospel to Europe. You know, a lot of you might know his story. He hated Christians. He was on, a, on route, he was trying to persecute, arrest, and have Christians killed. And God got a hold of him, gave him, he had a blinding vision of Jesus, and he stumbled around blind for a few days, and um, then a guy named Ananias came and restored his sight, and led him into the church. Now, that's the only time in the Bible Ananias is ever mentioned. Now, Paul reached Europe. And by extension, Paul's ministry has reached billions of people, and it affects people today. He was such an influential person in history that we here in Minnesota named our capital after him. And yet, who reached more people? Paul, who through his ministry reached billions, or Ananias, who through his ministry reached at least one more? 
So we might not be the D.L. Moody's or the Paul's or the Billy Graham's, but that doesn't mean that we can't have a fruitful ministry and have fruit that will last. Ananias' ministry, it had fruit that lasts to this day. Edward Kimball, that Sunday school teacher who led Moody to Christ, a lot of you didn't, didn't even know his name until I just said it now. He had fruit that lasts to this day. It comes from obedience and it comes from love. Do, loving God and loving others. So do you think that you're empowered to do ministry? Do you think that you have the education or credentials necessary to lead people closer to God? Can you make an impact in the world? Well, I, two questions. Question number one, do you love Jesus? Question number two, will you love people? If so, you have all that you need to remain in Jesus and you will bear much fruit. When I think about my life in ministry, I could go through a list of names of people you've never heard of. Every single one of whom I remember, and in some way, they spoke into my life and led me closer and closer to God until I ended up becoming a person who went into full-time ministry. Now, there are a whole bunch of people that I've come across in my life, most of whom will never remember my name. The question I ask myself when I meet anyone, be it the clerk at the hotel this morning, or the receptionist at the hotel this morning, or the, the, the um, clerk at the gas station where I stopped for gas, or you guys this morning, is, is God using me to lead them closer to him? And I can't know the answer to that because I don't know all of your hearts, but I do know that if I, according to Jesus, if I love, I remain in him, and I will bear fruit that will last. And the same can be true for all of us. Imagine what the world would look like if we as Christians remained in Jesus' love by simply loving those around us. That is what my, my colleague and I came up with two years ago when we met to, to plan this training course, is the most important principle in making disciples is to love others. And that's the, the most important principle for fulfilling the Great Commission, is to love others. So back in John 15, Jesus ends by offering a summary. He says, we're not servants who are commanded to obey Jesus out of some sort of sense of duty. We're his friends who work with him, and we obey his commands out of a love for him. You see, branches are not slaves of the vine. They work together to produce fruit. They're an organism. And as such, we are one with Jesus in our love for him and in his love for us. Jesus then points out that we did not choose him, but that he chose us to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Now that's an encouraging thought. He picked us for this job. He knows our hearts. He knows all the junk in there, all the darkness that's there, and he still picked us for this job. How can we fail if we are God's choice for this position? He chose us, and as such, we can ask anything in his name, and it'll be given to us. You see, bearing fruit is not difficult. Branches that are attached to the vine don't have to struggle to bear fruit. They simply do. If any of you have, are growing tomatoes in your yard, you go out to that tomato vine, you see that rush red tomato growing there, it's not groaning and struggling to become a tomato. It's just becoming a tomato. That's what happens. When, you're when the branches are attached to the vine, fruit happens. Fruit is automatic as long as we remain attached to the vine. If we need something from the vine, all we have to do is ask. So the question is for you, are you willing to give your life to bear fruit? Are you willing to love to that level of commitment? 
Is there anything that's holding you back from giving your life fully to Jesus? Money, fame, prestige, careers, tradition. Are you willing to die for Jesus? Are you willing to give everything in your love for Jesus and for his bride, the church? Because if you are, if you remain in the vine, you will bear much fruit, and that fruit will last. Ask God for what you need. He knows the hearts of every person out there. He knows what they need, and he knows how to give you, tell you how to give it to them. He wants you to ask him for what, he, for what you need. He wants to stay connected with you. He's not sending you out alone. He's given you unlimited access to the God of the universe. So pray, and pray a lot. This is how we keep our connection to the vine. Yet staying connected, it's not difficult. We only need to obey Jesus' command. And this is his command, to love each other. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd give us all hearts that desire to bear fruit. Give us a desire to reach those around us. Every single person in this room knows people who don't know you. Every single person in this room knows people who desperately need the gospel. And we, and those people that we meet, they're not ordinary people. Every single person we ever meet is destined to spend eternity with you or eternity without you. Every single person will be someone who, if we saw them now, we might be tempted to worship them, they'd be so glorious. Or if we saw them now, would appear to us as more horrifying than a nightmare. Every single person is destined for one of these eternities or the other. There are no ordinary people. And we all know them. Give us love for you. And give us love for others so that we can reach our cities, our states, our nations, and the world for you. Give us a love that will abide in you and will bear much fruit, fruit that will last. Thank you for Newfold and thank you for this church and the love that they have for you and for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Before, before the uh, worship team closes out our time of worship together, um, got to just let me make a, a couple of comments here. Um, this couple and their kids, as we, we get a chance every four years to see how their kids have grown and what is happening in their lives. Um, Lori asked me this morning, she's working this weekend, and so she asked me how, uh, how the dinner went last night, and I said, you know, there's just something God has done with this congregation and this family, that from day one, when we were exposed to them, there was just this sense of, we love them, we want to be a part of their ministries, and it's been real ever since then. And um, the, the meal that they shared with our missions committee last night was just fun to see because... Um, We've done this a few times as we, it gets us up to speed with them personally. It's always wonderful. But last night, there were a whole bunch of kids that were with some of the missions families, and their kids were playing with their kids, and it was just a great, great time. And uh, so I just want to say how thankful we are for them. And, and I want to just, I, I need to have a show of hands. If you've been to Bulgaria and seen the blisses 
in field, will you please raise your hand right now, just so you can see that we have a number of people who have been there, and it's kind of an interesting evolution that has taken place. Because years ago, when we were first getting to know them, was early on when Larry was involved as our missions chairman. And one of the dreams, and some of you have heard this, but some of you have never heard this, so I want you to hear this. One of the dreams that was set forth in a meeting with our missions mobilizer, wouldn't it be great if one day we could send a team of people out and do a short-term missions project? That would be great, wouldn't it? And that was a future dream. Well, since then, we have sent people to Vienna, as you know, I don't know, 10, 11 years now that we've been sending people to Vienna. In the middle of that, if you will remember, Paul Hansen led a team down to Mexico. He has such a passion for that. And uh, exciting note, Paul has expressed interest in becoming a part of our missions committee. And the missions committee has said, oh, we're excited about that. That's going to be a wonderful addition. But out of that Vienna trip, there were those who said, you know, we're right next to Bulgaria pretty much. Is there a chance we could go on and connect with our precious Bliss family and see them in country? And I think two years, am I correct? We've had two teams come to you and spend time with you and get to know what's happening in the field there. And so this connection, which started years ago, has, has just borne this wonderful fruit and this wonderful connection. And we are just thankful for, for this precious family. And I just wanted you to catch a little bit of the history because every time they're here, we simply love them more. That's all there is to it. We just wind up loving them more. And uh, that's a great thing. So uh, one last thing I will throw on to that is one, and you didn't say a lot with it right here, but you can tell they're being effective in the field because uh, David has now accepted a position where rather than just being the head over the Sophia team, He's now one of the team leaders in Europe. And now, how many, how many cities will it be that you will have some degree of, of six? Now there's, okay, so six other cities, so seven with Sophia, where now he's going to be engaged in helping those teams that are doing exactly the ministry that he's talking about. Well, Reach Global doesn't ask you to do that if they don't see effectiveness already happening, you understand. To, hey, we'll give you more responsibility. It's only because what you're doing is good and, and we're affirming it. So I wanted you to understand that about them. Also want you to know out of this love for them, we definitely today, we want to take a love offering for them. And that will be a retiring offering. And I'm sorry, we did not think, because there's been a lot going on, we did not think last week to say, hey, be prepared for this. So please forgive me on to that end. Um, but uh, Brian and uh, Vern will be at the doors here. And if you're going to write a check, will you please write this so you can, so we can do the tax side of thing. You write the check to just put NEFC and that will be fine. If you're gonna do cash, that's fine. But um, this will all go directly to them. This is just our expression of love towards them. And as they came home, uh, you know, they brought five people back from Bulgaria. There's a lot of expenses there, and they're going to need to go back to Bulgaria in, uh, in you know, less than a year now. Um, so there's a lot of transitional expenses, and I promise you that those who serve in the mission field, they are not getting rich, okay? We live very comfortably here. We have all our toys and all of our stuff here that we somehow find money for. Um, 
they sacrifice all of that and they don't consider it a part of their lives. So could we just please, as God, as God leads, it still comes down to that, as God leads, if you can, be generous with the Bliss family. And um, we're so very, very thankful that they have been here. Can we just say thank you to them right now? Can we do that, please? Thank you for being with us. And um, we love you. And we want good things for you. And we're going to pray God's blessing on them in just one moment.